Hey everyone! Thanks for tuning in to one of our very first episodes of the Malaysians Abroad podcast. It's been a while since we launched a podcast and we were honestly beginners back then with not so great equipment that might explain the poorish audio quality of this episode, but we hope you bear with it. We've got all this figured out now, so if you want to check out our later episodes, we promise it'll be a much better listening experience. Thanks again for listening and enjoy! For me, it always felt like our starting line has been set back because we were born a different race. Mm. Like even though we were born in Malaysia, but I feel like the privileges that we got to enjoy as a citizen was not equal. So mm. to me, it felt like in my own country that I was born in, um, to be honest, I felt like at that time, I felt pretty disheartened and hopeless because... From societal norms to language and growth opportunities, living abroad has so much to offer that it opens our eyes to not only another reality, but to our own. Hi, I'm Shan. I'm Hannah, and welcome to Malaysians Abroad Podcast, where we will explore all diverse experiences, insights, and opinions of Malaysians who have lived abroad. Hey everyone, in today's episode, we spoke with Payman, a young lady who always knew she wanted to move abroad and made that goal a reality. An early childhood educator now residing in Australia, Payman shares a take on racism and social justice and the challenges many people face in Malaysia. She talks about her hustle when she started building her life in Sydney, work-life balance, and pathways for migrating to Australia. Thought-provoking, vulnerable, and insightful are a few words we use to describe our conversation, and we hope you'll find value in it too. So, Payman, thank you so much for joining us. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, guys. My name is Payman. I'm from Penang. I left home to come to Australia when I was 18, like six months after my SVM. And yeah, I'm currently an early child teacher teaching kindergarten um, students in Sydney at the moment, but I'm moving to Canberra. Really cool. Early child education. So that's um, kindergarten age 5-6-ish? Uh, so it's from six months to six years old. That's early oh, child wow. education. Yeah. That's a really broad range. Super cool. Mm-hmm. Thanks for introducing yourself. Can you please tell us uh, why did you decide to go to Australia and can you also share your process in getting there? Sure. Um, I think all of my close friends from high school like would know that I've always wanted to live in Australia. But I think there are quite a number of reasons. But the main one was because really I just really want to experience living overseas, like experiencing another culture. Secondly, I felt like the system didn't sit quite well with me in Malaysia. And we'll get back to that later. Um, and the process of getting to Sydney was really easy, actually. You know, I'm, I'm very grateful that my dad has hired like a migration agent for me who applied for my student visa. Mm-hmm. And then, so first of all, I, I got an IELTS. So IELTS is the International English Language Testing System because I just finished SBM and I didn't have any other qualifications to prove my, I guess, my proficiency in English. Mm. Um, so yeah, so if you finish SBM, you have to take IELTS to come to Australia to further your education, basically. 
And then after that, um, we secured my enrollment at a college. And then after that, it was just the application of student visa, which was fairly simple to get. So you you mentioned earlier that you have always wanted to to move to Australia since you were in high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What were some of your reasons or like pooling factors that made you um, highly interested in moving there? Um, one of them is that my dad worked in Melbourne for five years in his youth. Um, and then he always had like the best things to say about Australia. Um, secondly, is that I wanted to live overseas. And thirdly, I would say like, I guess in, in high school, like I would hear things or like from my personal experience, all the people around me experienced things that I, it just didn't sit right with me. For example, uh, I would have seniors who had like flying colors in SBM, but they struggled to get into the public university because of the quota system. Mm. Like, yeah, so I'm pretty sure we're all aware of that. And then right. that's just one of the elements, I guess, in the systemic racism in Malaysia. So that has always bothered me in some ways. Yeah, like the, and I know it's such a sensitive and controversial topic, but I feel like this needs to be talked about, which is what I appreciate about your um, platform, really. We're glad yeah, to thank hear you that. so much for, for being so vulnerable, Payman. Really appreciate you just sharing your experience and, you know, using this as a platform to talk about those controversial topics, like exactly mm -hmm. what you said, we want there to be conversations around these. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I guess like um, from um, adults in my life, um, so my parents own a business and they talked about how like it's harder to get a business license when you're a minority in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. And um, like I talked about the quota system in public university you know, it's harder to get a bank loan. There's always like, I don't know, I just kind of, it, it felt like to me personally, I'm not generalizing every Malaysian's um, experience, but for me, it always felt like our starting line has been set back because we were born a different race. Mm. Like even though we were born in Malaysia, but I feel like the privileges that we got to enjoy as a citizen was not equal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, I think it's just such a heavy topic to start this podcast with. <laughs> but um, don't get me wrong, like racism still happens in Australia. Like, I feel like everywhere on this earth, there is racism. But at least I, in my personal experience, at least, um, there's no systemic racism. So it doesn't matter if you're Lebanese, you're Asian, you're white, or you're like, you know, any nationality, as long as you hold a Australian passport or mm -hmm. if you're a permanent resident, you enjoy the same privileges as everyone else. Mm. So to me, it felt like in my own country that I was born in, um, to be honest, I felt like at that time, I felt pretty disheartened and hopeless because mm -hmm. there was nothing I could do to change the system. But if I came to Australia, if I worked hard enough, I can get there. I can get to become a PR or I can become a citizen. And then I'll have equal opportunity as everyone else. So to me at that point, it was pretty like a no brainer to me. So I, it was also one of my, a big factor of why I decided to stay in Australia as well. Mm. Mm. So if I can recap properly, one of the reasons why 
you wanted to kind of continue your life after SPM was because mm-hmm. of this kind of um gap between like the races in Malaysia, right? That's right. The reason why you set your heart on Australia is because your your dad had positive things to say about his time there. Mm-hmm. Thanks. And, thanks and also, like you know, like me being here for the past five years, um, it has reinforced the idea that I feel like this is a great country to live in and to set my roots in. Mm. But at the same time, I just want to say, like, I am so privileged to be even be able to choose where I want to live. And there are many Malaysians out there who don't even have that choice. So I think that's what makes me like sad in a way. But at the same time, I know like this sounds all this all sounds very bleak, right? But at the same time, like I want to say that, like recently from social media, I do see a lot of um, young generations standing up for the minorities in Malaysia, them questioning the systemic racism, questioning why do we not get the same treatment just because we were born a certain race. And I feel like hearing that and seeing that that people are standing up for us, especially the majority of the the population, like when they stand up for us, I feel like it means a lot mm. to me at least that people are becoming more educated and aware of like the social justice in Malaysia, and people are actually like starting a conversation about this. So I, I do see like a, a glimpse of hope there. But yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. And advocacy among the the majority is so important, and mm-hmm. being able to see that. And I also want to say that you know, as as Chinese Malaysians ourselves, like even though there's a lot of these, um, like very implied or a very explicit racism that's being shown, I also mm-hmm. want to say that there's a lot of other races, especially you know the the even more minorities, right? Like people yeah. who are labeled as lion lion in Malaysia, like they don't exactly. even have a proper name, like we as Chinese Malaysians also have a role to play to make mm-hmm. sure that if we are fighting for equality, we're fighting for all. Yeah, 100%. And and it like makes me so angry to see, you know, how like some um, job ad or some rental ad that, oh, no, like no Indians, Malay or Chinese only. Like that makes me really angry. And it's mm-hmm. just, yeah, like you said, it's just such a big problem that I cannot even begin to like feel like I can fix this so I think at one point I was like I felt so like hopeless I just yeah yeah sorry it's and a very I, emotional thing for me I feel no you don't have to apologize at all like this are all valid feelings and I wanted to just make a note for our listeners I know we mentioned systemic racism but we also mentioned how like countries like Australia there are some implied racism but how is it different so systemic racism is actually a form of racism that is embedded through laws and regulations so whereas you know countries might have people who are racist there aren't actual laws that support that racism whereas in Malaysia there are actual laws in place that um, provide certain races with more opportunity or more advantage over others and that is what we're talking about here yes and i i do agree like australia has implied racism like for example (laughs) that this is my personal experience um you know i used to work in a sushi shop for four years and um in that sushi shop right everyone was chinese there i guess like we had a reputation of like being chinese-speaking people and yeah, like I experienced so much like verbally, very bad verbal abuse from the customers 
because then thinking that I don't know how to speak like, English. Go back to history or this is Australia, speak English, those kind of things. But I do speak English. Yeah. But like, it's like I experienced both racism, but to me, it's like in Australia, they have this act called, um, I think, anti racial discrimination act so there is an actual like an actual piece of legislation that makes it illegal to be racist mm -hmm. but yeah I, it's just in malaysia it doesn't right but it's, it's different kind of uh, racism but it still exists and i mean it's interesting that you say that you have experienced two types of racism one on a systemic level and one on a more personal or more explicit like to your face yeah racism right which one do you feel is, um, for yourself, for your personal, in your personal opinion, which one do you feel is more bearable for you? Oh, that's a good word, bearable. <laughs> like, obviously, both are, like, unpleasurable, right? Yeah. But um, I think I would prefer the implied racism because in a, if anything that happens, like, say, in the professional workplace or something, like, if something racist has happened at least I have a legislation to back me up you know I can sue someone I can make a complaint mm -hmm. um there's like things that I can actually do about it whereas I don't feel as supported in Malaysia in my own country that I was born in so yeah that's where my frustration lies I guess mm. right so it's it's interesting that you're pointing out the differences would you say that uh, there are any other key differences between Malaysia and Australia for you? Mm, still like within the realms of like racism, I feel like in Malaysia, even though I feel like the system is quite flawed, but I feel like in society, our culture is deeply embedded into each other's, you know, like you can easily name a few dishes from another culture. Um, you, you know, we include other um languages slang in our own like daily speech like we understand some context of like another culture where or when a joke is made but I feel like this is something that doesn't happen often in Australia um I think personally I feel like mm -hmm. the reason might be because there's just too many nationalities here and like people really tend to group to their own culture and yeah like it's quite it happens, but it's not like Malaysia where like, you know, you can have a group of friends who like are really, really diverse. Yes. Yes. I, I think that we mentioned this in our first episode where we talked about how in Malaysia, even though there might be systemic racism and, um, you know, there's this whole like Punjaja thing going on, our diversity is still very much honored in the sense that, you know, we are, we often observe each other's celebrations and we are made aware of like, the the importance behind each other's celebrations right like we know what ramadan is and why they celebrate hari raya mm -hmm. people know about chinese new year we have open houses you know deepa valley is like a festive time for the whole country as well and it's not like that in a lot of other countries where there might be a lot of other races so i i think like payment what you were saying earlier like really resonated with me as well like living here I still very much value the diversity that is ingrained in Malaysians. Yeah, I totally agree. It's like, um, like here in Australia, for example, it's great and all, but it's like, I feel like there's still quite a, a myth or like, I guess an ignorance about other culture that's not yours. Yeah, so I really do appreciate that about the Malaysian culture. I 
totally agree because I think we've been learning about like different cultures in in our like textbooks right and we even go to school with like all these different kind of races so I think it, we we have been so used to it since we were young right mm. it's not like something we're exposed to only when we become adults mm, exactly and it's like to be honest I have to say it for myself like it's something that I took for granted as well um, I never really appreciated it that much like when I was still living in Malaysia but after coming here like whoa it, it was such a big thing for me I felt like a sense of belonging in Malaysia yeah so like I said I think the key differences would be um, I guess the different types of racism but also how deeply embedded are each other's culture in Malaysia which I appreciate um, mm-hmm. yeah No, I, I wanted to go back to your point earlier about your decision to move to Australia. And one of the things you mentioned about systemic racism and how sometimes there are opportunities that are given to certain races or, or people who um, might not seem super fair all the time. And I'm just wondering, for you personally, your decision to move to Australia, was that backed by your parents? And especially, you know, the financial aspects and all of that. How was it for you? Yeah, my parents are 100% um, supportive about it. Um, you know, I think I'm very privileged, like that my parents could afford, you know, to hire a migration on on behalf of me. And then, you know, being able to send me overseas, you know, like buying an air ticket for me. And, but as soon as I got to Australia, I knew I wanted to be self-sufficient because one, um, conversion rate, that's like times Mm -hmm. three of everything. Yeah. Um, and two, I've just always enjoyed independence and freedom and so mm-hmm. that was just I don't know that seemed like a, we like my parents and I actually have never talked about it like I never actually told them that look I want to support myself when I go to Australia but it was a uh, I don't know like I got a job three weeks after I landed in Australia like I arrived in Australia two months before I started school so within that two months I was like this is my chance to work <laughs> so while I went to school I worked like three jobs I knew that I could support myself. So I just told my parents, like, it's fine. Like, I'm fine. So it was never like intentionally planned or anything. But it's just that before I came here, I kind of had a goal. Like, I don't want to burden my parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm, I, I'm grateful because I know like I do have a safety net. Like, you know, like if I do mess it up, I do have my parents to mm-hmm. back me up. Yeah. Like, I think I feel very fortunate like all this while, like nothing has really gone wrong. And yeah, I've never really had to ask for that financial support. Mm. Yeah. And so it sounds like you were doing quite a bit of work even while studying. And I know that especially yeah. when you're in a new environment, starting uni, that can seem pretty overwhelming. How was it for you? It was very overwhelming because um, everything was so expensive here. It was just, yeah. everything was expensive. And I think when I first came here, I was constantly converting everything in my head. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like when you buy a sandwich, it's like $7. It's like, what, $21 in Malaysia ringgit. And I freaked out, like everything was expensive. But I think um, as soon as I got to work and I was earning, you know, Aussie currency and then I pay my rent and everything, like that seemed less overwhelming, but still 
I think that was a lot of um, just constant anxiety over whether or not can I can pay my rent this week. Yeah, yeah, you know, I totally like, understand that. Yeah, <laughs> for the first like two years, I would say it was just constantly worrying over like financial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I just want to say that it's it's a very normal thing to compare the currency. Like <laughs> I've lived here for almost eight years, and I still do that. Mm. We, even when I buy like a five dollar thing, I'm always like, oh my gosh, you can get me like four bowls of laksa. So oh my god, <laughs> that's how I measure too. Um, yeah, I know. And then like say, buy like you know, I very seldom eat Malaysian food here because one, it's not as good, <laughs> and it's so expensive. It's like a roti yeah. canai, a roti canai. Um, like three pieces of roti canai with a little bowl of curry. It's like 11 something Aussie dollars times three. That's like 30 something dollars for three pieces of roti canai. Yeah, and it's like 30 pieces of roti canai. Right? Yeah, I was like, uh, okay, like I don't really eat Malaysian food here. But yeah. yeah. Is it easy to get a part-time job in Australia, especially while as a student? Yeah, I would say so. It was pretty easy because it wasn't like, because usually with student visa um the employers kind of know that you're gonna be here for a while like not permanently but at least like for the duration of your course right yeah right so you know in terms of like hospitalities or like retail that turnover rate is pretty high anyway like they're not gonna look for someone who can stay for ages Mm -hmm. so um i would say like hospitality and retail they do employ a lot of um people holding student visas Oh, so it's really interesting because over here in the US, you actually can't work um, what they call odd jobs or, you know, things like um, executive like hospitality and retail if mm. that's not related to your major. So it sounds like Australia is different where they actually do support that for students. Yeah, they do. But there is a restriction of um, the work hours. So you cannot work mm-hmm. as a person holding a student visa. You cannot work for more than 20 hours per week. And that wow. is excluding when during like school holiday, for example, then you can work unlimited hours. Mm, that's good to know. So throughout this whole process of you working and studying and trying to just accustom yourself, or adjust yourself to a new surrounding, how did you maintain a work-life balance or and care for your uh, mental health as well? Like, can I just be honest with you? Like I had no work-life balance (laughs) back in the the first two years I literally had no life well first of all because I didn't have the time or the energy to go out and like socialize with people and Mm -hmm. second of all I don't have the money like with what money Mm -hmm. you know even though you know you say well like uh do you want to catch up over a coffee that costs money too like that was like four dollars for a coffee Right. Yeah, you know, and I remember like standing in the grocery like grocery grocery aisle, like thinking, uh, which one should I buy? Uh? this rice or this rice? It's like fifty cents, you know. Like that's a lot. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, like for the first two years, um, I really did not have a life. I didn't have friends, and um, I was just throwing myself into working because one that took my mind off like my homesickness. Mm-hmm. And secondly, it was just so I was just so tired that I didn't have time or energy to think of anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was literally like a, a cycle of waking up, um, class, work, come back, assignment, eat dinner, assignment, sleep. That's all. Sounds like real hustle. In hindsight, I think I, I, it was a very toxic time for me. I was very 
like my mental health was not great mm -hmm. and I at that time I didn't feel like I didn't feel like I was going through a hard phase at that time because it's like I felt like this is what I chose and yeah. I'm all about yeah. you know taking ownership of your decisions and you know I don't want to feel bad about myself and but at the same time I feel like I didn't let myself feel I didn't let myself feel tired because mm -hmm. I kept telling myself, you know, this is what you wanted. And then, you know, you got what you wanted. You don't have the rights to complain. Yeah. Yeah. So in yeah. hindsight, I would say, like, I wish we had more conversations about, like, struggles. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's it's not all roses and sunshine. Mm -hmm. you know, the, the process is hard and the hustle is hard. But it sounds like you've done quite a bit of self-reflection as well. And now you know the importance of having a work-life balance, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, you mentioned that you're a teacher. So how do you maintain that work-life balance now? So um, at the moment, I'm working full-time. So I'm very, very grateful that I get to work like 10 hours a day for four days a week. So that this is also something I ask for. Um, so usual, you know, working hours is um, eight hours a day for five days a week. Mm -hmm. But then um, I asked for working a 10 hours shift a day and then um, having an extra day off. So I have like four days work week. Oh, cool. Yeah, Does that nice. work for schools? Yeah. So because this is not a school, it's, a, it, it's like a private, private um, kindergarten. So we um, do have like those freedom and allocation for staff requests. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And then like that is really to help me kind of get on top of my physical health, my mental health. Yeah. Nice. And would you say that you have a better understanding of finances now and, and a better um, grasp of everything that's going on? Yeah, 100%. And I think I'm just in a position of privilege to be able to have a better understanding of financial because say me um, three years ago, like it was hard like even if i understand how to find manage my finance i couldn't do it because i didn't have enough finance for me to manage does that make sense yeah it does mm. i see i see mm. you also earlier mentioned that you do plan on um establishing your roots in australia mm -hmm. so maybe you can give us a brief overview of um what the pr application process is like yeah sure um so there are so many pathways that you can choose to become a pr you can do um from what i know anyway you can do a partnership visa you can do um investment is like a spouse visa sorry just yeah to clarify. that's okay. right yeah so you don't even have to be married as long as you're de facto that would be fine like um, I think, I don't know for how many months, I'm not sure. I haven't done my research on that. And then you can do an investment visa, which is basically you dumping a lot of money in a business or an investment. And then you can get your PR almost like immediately because it helps the Australian economy. Yeah. Yeah. So like, unless you're really rich. <laughs> so that's, that is a great option. Um, and then what else? But the, the visa that I'm going with is the skilled nomination visa. So basically what that is, is that you have to be, your occupation has to be on the skilled, skilled occupation list. So SOL, 
and if your occupation is on that list, then you are eligible to apply for that. But it also depends on a lot of other factors, like do you have a good English um, standard, like proficiency? Do you pass your skill assessment? And the skill assessment is just another big thing that you need to get before you apply for the PR, which is to assess like your skills and your qualification in that occupation. Oh, and is it like a, a practical test or how do they assess your skills, especially for a teacher? Like what, what does it look like? So it's a lot of paperwork, I would say. They don't really come in to look at you teach. It's, it's just paperwork and um, submitting a lot of like evidence of your work as a teacher and your qualification to see that your qualification is indeed approved by the Australian government and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. But I'm, I'm sure like there is a different skills assessment body for every occupation on that list. And then on top of that, um, each state has its own SOL, so skill occupation list. Um, and what happened to me was that for the past five years that I was living in Sydney, I always thought, and it's always been like my occupation as an early child teacher has always been on that list in Sydney, mm -hmm. right? But then it was recently just, it just got taken out of the list in March. Oh. So what that means for me is that I can no longer apply for my PR in Sydney. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I was so devastated when this happened because it felt like, you know, I was like trying so hard to build a life here for the past five years. And I have my friends, I have relationships yeah. here. And then it feels like, sorry, you got to uproot your life and start again in another state that has your occupation on the list. Oh man, that sucks. Yeah. And then after that, after that, I, you know, like I got through all the stages of grief and I was like, okay, I accept it. I accept that I'm going to move to the next state. It's fine. And then I set up everything. I handed in my resignation letter. I found a job there in Canberra. I'm talking about the next state. Um, I found like I set up everything. I coordinated a whole move. And then my occupation came back on the list. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So, so what, is, what does that mean for you now? So it means that I can now apply for my PR in Sydney. But I was like, nope, I'm not going to let this affect my life. I have planned for it and I will go now. <laughs> so you are still making the move to Canberra? I'm still making the move to Canberra because like after really like having so much thought about it, I just feel like in Canberra, it's just a lot less competitive because mm -hmm. um, Canberra is the capital city of Australia, but it's a very underpopulated city. So the government really wants people to move there and like, you know, get the city moving. And so like, it's just from my advice from my migration agent as well, they said that it's just best to go. You know, like Sydney yeah. is just a lot more competitive. And it sounds yeah. like a, a nice new adventure at least yeah. since you've been in the same state for the past five years. Mm. Yeah, I think that was just like a major test for you and now you're kind of pushing through with it. Yeah. But like now thinking back on it, I'm like, okay, I'm kind of glad it happened because without it, I wouldn't even have like thought about uprooting my life and move to another state. Mm -hmm. But it's okay. Like if I could move to Australia at 18, I can move to another state at 23. It's fine. Yeah. That's, that's the way to think about it. Love yeah. your optimism and your positivity. <laughs> yes. Oh, thanks. 
<laughs> but yeah, this is uh, this is migration in a nutshell, guys. <laughs> Just whatever the policymakers like, they decide your life for you. You know. Yeah, and what? So you mentioned earlier that there's like a list of visas that you can apply for. What? Where can I find a list if I'm interested in moving to Australia? Not me, but you know our listeners. Um, sure. I so there are. So you can find all the different types of visas in this website called imihomeaffairs.gov.au. So i m m i dot homeaffairs dot gov dot au. Okay. And what other advice would you share with someone who might be thinking about moving abroad or who are in the same boat as you are? Um, I think first of all, just really do your research and. Really understand why you want to go overseas. You know, you can be going overseas because you want to just experience life in another country, or you know you want to be there long term, or you just want to study your dream course in that country. You know, so really understanding why you want to get there. If you're like me and you know that you want to be there long term, then I guess like all your other decisions have to kind of tailor to that goal. So find an occupation that is on the skill occupation list to that certain state that you want to live in.、Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I would say, like, secondly, really ask for what you want. And it's so easy to say, right? But it's very hard to do when you're actually in that position. Like, it makes you feel vulnerable. You don't want to be. Nobody wants to feel、um, embarrassed or rejected. But really, like, the worst. Reaction you can get is a no. So in terms of like looking for a pay rise or looking for a job that you feel might be out of your league or a promotion, <laughs> like just ask for what you want.、Mm. Yeah. Cool. So it sounds like you know your 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 advice for Malaysians is firstly do your research,、mm-hmm. know what you really want, and know your worth. Yeah. When you're moving abroad,、exactly. and also just be really flexible for change of plans. Yes. Because, like, for example, like me, I have to move over, like, interstate the last minute. Just be flexible and know what you're signing up for. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be a tough ride, but a rewarding one. You know, they say a、uh, smooth seas never, never meet a skilled sailor, right? Yeah, amen. Yeah, I like that. Okay, cool, Pingin. Thanks so much for wonderful and insightful advice. I think we can definitely see that you have. Kind of established your grounds in Australia, and you know, like how to navigate yourself. If we had some listeners who were interested in moving to Australia, is it okay if they can reach out to you on on your social accounts? Of course.、Um, so my, I guess my Instagram is、um, at L Payment. So L P E I M I N. Okay, thank you. So it's at L P E I M I N. Yeah, L Payment. Okay, cool. Thanks.、As、I also me... wanted to say thank you so much, Payment, for being so vulnerable. I know that this was like a tough conversation, and there was a lot of honest and raw emotions here. So、yeah. thank you for sharing that, and thank you for normalizing tough experiences and controversial topics. Really appreciate it. Thanks,、right. guys. If Payment's story resonated with you. Please let us know your thoughts. You can connect with us on Instagram at Malaysians Abroad Podcast, or you can email us at Malaysians Abroad Podcast at gmail dot com. Thanks for listening and bye.